You're listening to the Packernet Podcast Network. Ladies and gentlemen, welcome once again to the Packernet Podcast. I am your host and resident fanalist, as always, Ryan Schlipp. Check us out online, packernet.com. Find me on Twitter, pack underscore daddy. So today, Pinky, we're going to do what we always do. We're going to talk about the craziness that happened yesterday, because a lot more crazy stuff happened. I'll be honest, if the offseason stays like this, I will have... No problems keeping this podcast running all year round. I doubt I'll have problems anyways, but, um, you know, you, you just never know. You get done with a podcast, and you're like, all right, cool. And then you go about your day, and it's like, I literally have nothing to talk about. And you got to start building it as the day goes. Living just day by day. Something always comes up, but um, it feels good when it's just madness every day. And you sit down here, and you look at it and go, yeah, I wonder if I'm even going to get through all this today. It's a good feeling. It feels good. Feeling good. How you feeling? I'm feeling good. It's Friday. Tomorrow's my sleep-in day. Excited about that. Although I am planning on setting an alarm because I don't want to get into this habit of sleeping until 8 or 9, coming downstairs and going, nah, not feeling it. So I got I to gotta have that twinge of tired, you know, no family awake, come down here, boom, making the donuts. Anyways... Basically, just sticking with the NFC North today, there was plenty of news amongst uh, NFC North folks. That is true for every single team. Bunch of Lions, Bears, Vikings, and Packers news, in case you didn't know who was in the NFC North. Not the Tampa Bay Buccaneers. That was a different thing. Long time ago. For those of you that have been driven inside and are so bored you've decided to bring football back into your life. Hold on. Alarm clock. Take it easy. Alarm clock. Trying to talk to the people here. He's no DJ Galaxy, I'll tell you that, but he, he does all right. He does his job. So anyways, that's what's on the agenda. If and you wouldn't mind doing me a couple little favors. Numero uno, make sure you are in the Packernet Podcast Facebook group. Make sure you like the Packernet Podcast Facebook page. If you want to support the show, one way to do that would just let people know via review. Occasionally somebody's poking around, wonder what, uh, you know, this, this, this podcast is no good. Let's find a new one. And since these algorithms are garbage, I'm usually, aside from Spotify, which make sure you subscribe on Spotify, please. If you root around, I'm buried like 17 deep. I don't even think there's 17 Packers podcasts anymore, but I'm, I'm buried under some that haven't even been playing in three years. But if we've got a bunch of great reviews, which we do, hopefully somebody stumbles upon that. They read recent reviews saying this is the greatest Packers podcast in the known universe. And they say, all right, let's give it a try. And then we have a new member of our family. And isn't that what we all want? That's what I want. That's what you should want, too. The people need to know. So iTunes, Stitcher, probably a couple other places out there you can leave reviews. Stitcher is very easy. You don't need an account. You don't need to log in. You don't need to download iTunes. You don't need to have an Apple iPhone. Just go to Stitcher. Find my podcast. Scroll to the bottom on the right. Five stars. Leave a comment. Bada bing, bang, boom. Otherwise, patreon.com forward slash pack underscore daddy. If you'd like to support the podcast monetarily, you can do it for as little as a dollar a month. And since you have recently, don't lie, I know you canceled your gym membership, okay? I know you canceled a bunch of stuff. Your kids were in sports, guess what? They're not anymore. Don't, don't, don't try to lie to me. That, that restaurant money, right? That budget you had to go out to the fancy restaurant once a month with a significant other, uh, take it off the budget. Now pool all that extra money you got, 
subtract toilet paper, come up with what you feel to be a reasonable percentage. Speaking of, I am starting up Packernet Financial Services, if anybody's interested. I will be your financial planner. It will go similar to what you just heard a moment ago. So if, if that got you going and got you motivated, um, give me a call. We'll, we'll move some money around. We'll do all right. Anyways, why don't we go ahead and take a break and discuss what has happened in the last 24 hours. We all have smartphones, and we all know they're pretty amazing, but they also can be amazingly distracting, especially when we're around other people. So U.S. Cellular wants us to reset our relationship with our phones by putting down our phones for five. That's right, a company that sells phones wants us to put down our phones. And to see what we find, learn more at uscellular.com forward slash built for us. In the hobby, it's not easy being a fan of ripping packs or repacks. We get all hyped up thinking we're going to get some high-value Jordan Love card, but with zero transparency on available cards and hit rates, it's all just a shot in the dark. Until now, introducing Slab Packs from ArenaClub.com, the only repack that provides real value, a complete view on all possible cards, and clear hit rates for each one. Now when I buy Slab Packs on Arena Club, it finally feels like I know what I'm getting. And honestly, the best thing for me and my son is the fact that we're kind of novices into this. When I walk into a card shop with my son, and a card says it costs $40, kind of just taking his word for it that that's a good value. So I appreciate the transparency on grading, as well as just getting excited about seeing what you could potentially get. Right now, you can get 10% off your first purchase by going to arenaclub.com slash packdaddy. Wow, that's crazy offer. 10% off a $400 slab pack. That's 40 bucks right there. Anyways, that's arenaclub.com slash packdaddy for 10% off your first purchase. So let us start with the, uh, well, I would call them the Detroit Lions, but let's just call them what they really are, the New England Patriots. Seriously, I know I already went on this diatribe, but if I were the one in charge of um, Matt Patricia being hired, he would already be fired. This whole, and the GM as well, because he's the one going out and doing this. This is the plan they've concocted. The GM is simply asking the head coach who he wants, and the head coach just wants to poach Patriot players because that's all he knows how to do. And the GM, having apparently no ability to evaluate talent, says, okay, fine, let's just poach Patriots. Unbelievable to me. And it's not. there's no way this is a coincidence because Miami is doing the same thing. Miami's head coach is a former Patriot. This is, this is unbelievable to me. Don't you have a pro personnel staff? Isn't it their job to find talent across all 31 other teams? Just unbelievable to me. And yes, they signed more Patriots, but let's start at the beginning. So the Detroit Lions, first of all, lost tight end Logan Thomas. Not the biggest deal in the history of the known universe, considering they brought on TJ Hawkinson. Meh. The bigger issue they got to figure out is, is TJ Hawkinson going to become a good football player? Because although slightly limited... He did end up playing um, 12 games, and I think a lot of people misunderstand because T.J. Hawkinson came out of the gate and was like the highest-graded tight end in week one. And so a lot of times what happens is we were focused on the draft and a lot of the draft prospects early, and so our opinions of how these guys do is kind of baked in early, and then we just kind of forget about it as the season goes on because we're not thinking about the draft or draft prospects or guys that we wish we drafted. We're focused on the season. So guys like Brian Burns, everyone assumes, is a great football player because he killed it in preseason. He had a great start and then completely tapered off. Not saying he's bad, but I'm saying that people misunderstand how good or bad his season was. 
And I think the same is true with TJ Hawkinson, who killed it week one against Arizona, but that was really, his grade was in the 80s, so very good. He only had two games in the 70s beyond that. Everything else was either average, below average, or bad. In fact, weeks two and three were terrible. Weeks 11 and 12 were terrible. Everything else was average or below average. So he, he didn't have a very good year. He's one of the worst pass-blocking tight ends ever, which is pretty shocking because one of the benefits of TJ Hawkinson is you're supposedly getting this super well-rounded football player. right? You got Noah Fant, who's obviously this great receiver. He didn't have a... Although, he, I think he picked it up toward the end of the year. I don't know. Don't feel like looking it up. It's not the point. But TJ was a great receiver and also this great blocker. Just super well-rounded. He was a terrible blocker. Now, he might turn it around, but the point is... This is kind of similar to us with Kyler Fackrell saying, well, we got Rashawn Gary, we can let this guy go. Now, I know we have more than just Rashawn Gary, obviously. We have two other guys. But the point is, our number three spot is Rashawn Gary. And as I said, we're going to get rid of him because you're not going to keep and pay a number four, and you're not going to make him number three above your number 12 overall pick. So you say, well, too bad. This is our investment, so we need to move on from other guy. So they're doing the prudent thing and saying, well, we don't need him. We got TJ. Point is, though, as of right now, Mr. Hawkinson isn't doing much. And you could say, well, maybe that's because they didn't have Matt Stafford. Except for the part where they did have Matt Stafford. Matt Stafford is around all the way through week nine. And actually, Matt Stafford's only bad game all year was week one, which is the week in which TJ Hawkinson had a great year. Which, in a way, I'm kind of going way into the weeds here, kind of makes sense. Because I've always said tight ends are a very good relief valve for quarterbacks. So if you've got an, a, a quarterback that gets injured and you get a lesser quarterback that comes in or you get a rookie quarterback it's kind of a it's just it's a it's like a safe just makes you feel safe right you got this tight end he's a big target he's usually not super far down the field gets a little bit of separation you dump it off to him he goes and gets a bunch of yards for it that was always my move in fantasy football if, if a younger quarterback takes over because of an injury if there's a halfway decent tight end I pick him up in fantasy because he's probably going to get a boost for whatever reason Matt Stafford wasn't having a, a, a great week one really relied on TJ Hawkinson. After that, he got into his groove, didn't care about Hawkinson anymore. So I don't know. It'll be be interesting. I mean, I would assume he's going to get better. He's, he's a talented guy. But also, again, just part of the reason I bring that up and I want to keep bringing that up is around this time of year, and it's fun. We, we talk about draft prospects. Everybody that we talk about is a sure thing. I mean, we're talking about sure things well into the second round, third round. There are fifth round guys that we like that are just going to kill it. There was never any question in anybody's mind that TJ Hawkinson was going to be phenomenal. Which, by the way, same thing happened with Eric Ebron and the Detroit Lions when they took a tight end early. Guaranteed he's going to be a stud. He wasn't. He never was. Now, we can talk about Eric Ebron in a moment and why it's not maybe the worst idea, depending on price. But in terms of was it a good value, there's nobody on planet Earth, aside from Eric Ebron's mom, that would say he was a good value when he got taken. And so it's just just a friendly reminder that most people that get drafted are going to be not good. They might become good later on, but year one, they're not going to be very good. The entire first round is mostly filled with guys that were just not good football players. Very, very rare exceptions. This is just your weekly reminder. It's also a good reminder for those anti-Rashawn Gary folks who feel like everybody that got drafted is amazing and we got stuck with the one dud. Nah, pretty much everybody's terrible. Unless you got Bosa because, you know, you're picking in the top five, and you can get a guy like that, um, you know, there are no sure things. 
The Lions did get a pickup. They picked up J. Ron Curse from the Minnesota Vikings. This is another one of these safeties for Minnesota that just had a phenomenal year. Now, it was a bit of an outlier, and he's a seventh-round pick, which, I mean, let's just be honest, that is one of the criteria I use. If he had a breakout year in year four and he was a second-round pick or a first-round pick or even a third-round pick, I would have a different opinion on whether or not he can replicate this considering he's a seventh-round pick. Also, you look at the massive amount of of, um, great safety play that was in Minnesota, and it just feels like this is kind of like Vic Fangio and the Bears. It was just an environment in which safeties thrive. Everybody that was a safety, for whatever reason, had an unbelievable year, which also, again, we got the Vikings DB coach. Maybe we get a little bit of that magic. But, you know, everything kind of intertwines. How much of it was the DB coach? How much of it was Mike Zimmer and his specific style of defense? How much of it was the the corner play, the pass rush? All these things kind of come together. Point is, though, if I had to guess, and when I say breakout, I'm talking he was a seventh-round pick in 2016 by the Minnesota Vikings, number 244 overall. First year, he was a 58 overall, so slightly below average. Didn't play very much. Second year, didn't get a ton of play. Average guy. Great tackler, solid against the run, not super good in coverage. 2018, he bumps that up to 200 snaps. So now he's officially a you know rotational player as opposed to just a repl- replacement player. Same situation, though. Overall, he's average, solid against the run, phenomenal tack- tackler, not very good in coverage. And by not very good, I mean targeted 16 times. 13 of those 16 were caught for 89 yards, had one pass breakup. Then in 2019, his overall grade is an 89. His run defense stays solid, his tackling falls off, but his coverage goes from low 60s up to 85.1. 23 times he was targeted, only 13 times they were caught for 89 yards, which is the exact same amount. 13 for 89 is the exact same, except he was targeted 23 times. He had one interception and four pass breakups for a 47.2 overall grade. So there's reason for Detroit to get a little bit excited, but if I had to guess, he's not going to be able to replicate that success in Matt Patricia's defense. Matt Patricia, if you didn't know, is not Mike Zimmer. So we'll see. They may have picked up a really solid safety. I don't think so, though. Either way, the Vikings don't have him anymore, which is just added to a very long list of guys that the Vikings are losing. More on that in a moment. The Lions also picked up Deron Harmon, who is, you guessed it, a Patriot. Deron Harmon is also a safety, so they're working real hard on these DBs. I wonder why. It's interesting, isn't it? Why are they working so hard on defensive backs? This team that wants so badly to be the Patriots is poaching a bunch of Patriot players. The Patriots last year were really dominant, especially... Oh, it was their secondary. He's even copying the playbook, except with ridiculously, wildly lesser players. Now, Deron Harmon is decent. I would trust, actually, Deron Harmon over J. Ron Curse. He didn't have as high of a year, but this is a third-round pick. He's 29 years old. He's been around for a long time, and he has been steady, steady, steady as far as being a good player. And, and you know, in PFF grade terms, we're talking 70s. Again, though, you got to discount the fact that this is the Detroit Lions. This is Matt Patricia. And as much as, you know, the universe would love to believe that Matt Patricia, I mean, Matt Patricia ran the defense. Of course, he did. Uh, no, no, no. It's going to be worse. And so he's a year older, he's 29 years old, he's leaving the Patriots environment, which, similar to the Vikings, great environment. The guys he was playing behind are ridiculous. The system, the everything about the Patriots' defense was top tier. 
So leaving that environment, going to the Detroit Lions, it's not going to be quite as good. However, did their safeties get better? I would say so. I mean, they did lose Quandre Diggs, but we'll try not to even pretend to understand that. And then finally was the big news. Um, the Lions added Desmond Trufant very shortly after they traded Darius Slay to the Eagles. This has been sort of a long time coming. They've been wanting to dump Slay. I don't. I didn't really understand it. Again, I've, I've said this several times. I, I think Darius Slay has been slightly overrated, but he is a very good football player. the The fact that they have been desperately trying to get rid of him for so long is just weird to me. Now, there's a rumor floating around that, and and considering how things are going lately, watching rumors about Bill O'Brien cutting players that he doesn't like, and just these clashes with players and these ego-ridden coaches apparently just can't handle it and ship players off. There was a rumor that Matt Patricia didn't like how Darius Slay was acting, particularly with the jersey swaps. Apparently he's like, after a big loss, laughing and joking and signing and trading jerseys and it rubbed Patricia the wrong way. It seems too ridiculous to be true, but what about this makes sense? Desperately trying to get rid of Darius Slay all the time. But anyways, we half talked about this yesterday. Again, very similar players. I would tend to think they took a half a step back, although Darius Slay did have a terrible year last year. If you believe that that is the new standard and he just completely fell off a cliff and never is going to recover, then they did get better. If I had to guess, though, I would say Darius Slay is going to have a better year than Desmond Trufant. Although, I don't know, who knows? Not a whole lot of difference between them. They're about the same age, both very fast, veteran corners. I'm not scared of them. However, the the compensation is the one thing we didn't talk about. The Lions got a third and fifth round pick. As of right now, the Lions have um, one first, one second, two thirds, a fourth, two fifths, a sixth, and a seventh. They have nine total picks. They have four picks in the top 85. That that number may skyrocket if they trade out of the number three overall spot. Kind of makes sense because as we've talked about, the Lions, the head coach, and the uh, the GM are desperately trying to not get fired, so stacking up on talent, hoping that some of these guys can play football so that the team can improve, although it clearly hasn't up to date. It makes sense. The question is, are they going to be able to do anything with these draft picks? Which is probably everybody's strategy with the exception of the Bears, who still feel like trading away draft capital so that they can bring in free agents is the best way to build a football team. So, you know, best of luck to them and all. We'll talk about the Bears in a moment. Actually, let's just do it right now. So this came up a couple days ago. I wanted to bring it up and I just haven't got to it. So let's do it right now. Somewhat hilarious, although I'm starting to feel bad for Mr. Trubisky because as much as it's great that he's the Bears quarterback because he's not good, he does seem like a good dude. I mean, he seems like a nice person, you know? However, there was a flurry of uh, activity on Twitter, apparently, that somebody rounded up where the Chicago Bears receivers are all begging and pleading and liking posts about quarterbacks coming to Chicago. So, for example, Cordero Patterson, before Tom Brady had declared where he was going, put on Twitter, at Tom Brady, good morning, heard the news, just making sure you're good, asking for my friends. Obviously hinting to the fact that he would like Tom Brady to come to Chicago and be his quarterback. Allen Robinson, also the number one guy, Trubisky's top receiver, liked a post on Twitter in which FanDuel put the Bears as the highest odds to land Cam Newton. Cordero also followed up his tweet with uh, saying, at Teddy Bridgewater, where are you at, fam, asking for a friend? So he's at, he has a lot of friends with questions, apparently. But poor Trubisky, man. Poor, poor Mitch Trubisky. 
mentioned yesterday how they got Nick Foles. I don't know exactly how the uh, wide receivers feel about that, but I'm guessing they're relatively happy that at least somebody's coming in not named Mitch Trubisky to throw them footballs. And really, it's just the the facade is officially over. I mean, you could try to make the case, and the Bears probably will, that these are just veteran backups. Nick Foles is going to come in. He's going to be a veteran presence and all this blah, 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 nonsense. It's over with Mitch Trubisky. I mean, you, he's lost the locker room. Not, I mean, not saying the guys don't like him kind of lost the locker room, but as far as the confidence of the receivers, he's lost the confidence of the coaches who have done nothing over the last 72 hours but call quarterbacks and beg them to come play for the Chicago Bears. It's over and it's done. It's completely done. And then finally, I woke up this morning to news, and I really was kind of shocked by this. Haha, ha, Clinton Dix is going to the Dallas Cowboys, going to be reunited with uh, Mike McCarthy. I really think that those two really got along a lot. I, I got that impression that McCarthy really liked Haha, ha, and Haha ha really liked McCarthy. I know back when the first ripples of problems in the locker room started, it was comments from Haha ha about how he wasn't happy about the young guys. And then when guys started getting fired, it was Haha ha coming out saying, no, it's not the coaches, right? He defended, I think he defended Dom, saying it's ridiculous that we're getting rid of, it's not his fault and all that kind of stuff. So he was very pro-coaches and just felt like the guys in the locker room weren't pulling their own weight. So I think that's going to be a good reunion. And he's out of Chicago. And I was surprised because I saw a tweet from Haha ha Clinton Dix. There was a, I, I didn't, I couldn't hear the audio, so I didn't know. But there was apparently a kid who was real excited that Haha ha Clinton Dix came to Chicago. I think it was last year. And he had responded to that tweet saying something to the effect of, I think he's going to be real excited about the news coming up very soon. So I was like, okay, well, so the Bears are going to re-sign him. I thought it was basically a done deal, and all of a sudden he's going to Dallas. So I don't know if Dallas just swooped in or what, but Dallas has been really trying very hard recently over the last probably two years to bring in free agent safeties. They haven't been able to get much. They finally got HaHa, who, again, I know Packer fans want to say he's garbage. He's consistently a decent tight end tight end listen to me safety his overall grade with Chicago last year was a 74.2 which is good 23rd overall which you know it's not elite but Adrian Amos was a 76 overall so he did grade out higher so Packer fans win that war but I mean 74.2 compared to 76.4 is we're splitting hairs here point is he is and kind of always has been a decent safety especially in regard to coverage also, the accusations about his tackling, and I've, I've tackled this issue in the past, wildly overblown. And I used not just grades, but statistics to show how his missed tackles are a lot lower than most safeties. So now that he's a former Packer that is not a Chicago Bear, I feel even better about uh, defending the guy. But um, Chicago doesn't have him anymore. So their, their stud safety had one good year and then regressed back down to being good, not great. By the way, haha, Clinton Dix was graded as their best safety last year. Just to just to really show you two points. Number one, haha is better than all Packer fans are willing to give credit. And Eddie Jackson regressed. He graded out his average, 66.9, 52nd highest graded safety in all of football. He had a 66.1 coverage grade. Haha was a 75. Amos was a 76. So they got rid of Amos. <laughs> they got rid of haha. And they locked up Eddie Jackson for a massive contract because he had one good year. Turns out he's a average to good safety. And now that he lost HaHa and he lost Amos and he lost Vic Fangio, this is only going to, I mean, it's not like it's going to get much better than this. Also, you want to talk about tackling. He was the sixth worst tackling safety in all of football. Not HaHa, Eddie Jackson. So good old Chicago Bears, man. Just throwing money in all the wrong places. So we'll see. 
I mean, if you look at the snap counts of everybody else, HaHa and Eddie Jackson were over 1,000. The guy who had the most snaps at safety beyond that was Deion Butt, um, 58 snaps. So maybe they feel good about Dion. I don't know. He has graded out pretty well, but, I mean, we've seen that before even with, with Packers. The guy has limited snaps, and it's like, oh, but they were real good. And then you give him full-time duties, and it's like, oh, no, he's, he's not that good. But either way, the Bears are regressing. That's not super debatable in my mind. Anyways, let's do the responsible thing for once and take a second break. We'll come back, we'll talk about the Vikings, and finish off with the Packers. So not a huge bunch of news for the Minnesota Vikings. However, it is more good news. The Vikings have now lost Mackenzie Alexander to the Bengals, who have signed two cornerbacks for the Minnesota Vikings. Is that really dumb? Yeah, it's pretty dumb for the Bengals, but I don't care because the Vikings lost two corners. Just to the Bengals. So looking at their current cornerbacks, one cornerback played 500 snaps, and that was Mike Hughes. Supposed to be a very, very dominant player, has yet to live up to that. So far, as far as grades, uh, 61 and then 58. He was, on, he was on IR, but again, he played 500 snaps. He has yet to demonstrate any form of ability to be a solid corner. Outside of that, the second most snaps was Holton Hill, who played 168, 63 overall grade. After that would be Chris Boyd, who played 99 snaps, 49.4 overall grade. They have nothing left. Mark Fields played six snaps. Nate Meters played 11. Marcus Sherrills played one. Then they got Kimon Hall and Marcus Marcus Sales. So they have Marcus Sherrills and Marcus Sales on the same team. That's weird. This is a mishmash of nonsense is what this is. Cornerback is, is very, very much, I would say, the top priority for this team. A team that still needs a lot of offensive line help. Garrett Bradbury was terrible. Uh, Pat Alflein is terrible because they lost a guard, inexplicably cut a guard. Uh, apparently, Dakota Dozier is probably going to be taking over, unless they like what they see from Avianti Collins. Either way, these guys are all terrible. And then you got Brian O'Neill and Riley Reef who are meh. They're meh tackles. Even amidst that, the cornerback group is, I would say, by far the biggest issue. Still have unbelievable safeties. Although they did lose J. Ron Curse, who was one of the highest rated safeties in football. Again, not super believing in that. But either way, he's gone. But I don't know, man. I, I, I've said before, I think Eric Hendricks is going to massively regress. This was a wild anomaly for Kendricks to be graded as high as he was, the highest graded uh, linebacker in all of football. He hasn't been ever in his career anywhere close to that. They lost to Fon Diggs, so their offense is going to regress. Kirk Cousins is probably going to regress without having Diggs. Adam Thielen might even regress a little bit without having digs because of the extra attention. Dalvin Cook lost offensive linemen. The cornerbacks have been eviscerated. The safeties are, they at least lost one of their guys, and they lost their DB coach. Harrison Smith also seems to be one of those guys that goes a real good year, one year kind of decent year the next year. So good elite, good elite, plus he's getting older. So he's a good football player regardless, but He's not getting any younger. I don't. I, again, linebackers I don't think are going to be all that great. Interior defenders losing Linval Joseph is a negative. They brought in Michael Pierce, but he's an aging 340-pound nose tackle. Basically, we talked about him the other day. He doesn't play as well as a defensive tackle, which is what he's going to be for the Minnesota Vikings, and he is strictly a run defender. So he's not even an every-down kind of guy. The the only guy that they have, I mean, Shamar Stefan. As far as a guy that's going to be maybe an every-down player, 
29 years old, former seventh round pick, 6'5", 309. Highest graded season was in 2017 with a 67. Went to Seattle for a year, was terrible. Came back to Minnesota after that, was terrible again. Jaleel Johnson is terrible. Jalen Holmes is terrible. Hercules Mata'afa is terrible. It's Armin Watts who they drafted and got put on IR. Uh, very low expectations there. I mean, they're def- they need somebody along the defensive line. They lost Evers- Everson Griffin, so their ability to come off the edge is severely hurt. Obviously, Daniil Hunter was the better of the duo, but that's pretty serious. If Eddie Odenigbo is going to be ha- going to have to be the one that steps up and takes that spot, a guy with a less than 10% pressure rate. I mean, people are going to point to the fact that he only played 400 snaps and had seven sacks, which is very, very high. But again, overall ability to generate pressure is under 10%, which is pretty much where I draw the line. If you're under 10%, you're not very good. And again, another seventh-round pick. Their entire defensive line right now, aside from Pierce, is a bunch of seventh-round has or not even has been seventh-round, just people. I don't know. That's just what they are. They're just people, just dudes. So I, yeah, I, I don't know, man. We'll see what happens as far as their ability to add more talent. Maybe they pick up a couple pieces, and then, of course, there's the draft. But again, as much as you need to build through the draft, there's only so many holes you can fill. Again, if you can hit on two prospects, you had a decent enough draft. I would say that's a pretty standard draft if you got two guys that are starters. If you get even one that's elite, that's solid. If you get three that start, that's solid. And I mean start in terms of you actually want them to be starters, not start because there's literally nobody else. So despite the fact that you're not good, we just kind of have to force you in there. I'm talking about Darnell Savage and Elton Jenkins. Starters that you intend to be starters long term, not like they're starters now, but you want to replace them. So anyways, the current list as via NFL update on Twitter. Here's a list of the Vikings' departures so far this offseason. Stephon Diggs, Trey Waynes, Linval Joseph, Josh Klein, Xavier Rhodes, Mackenzie Alexander, J. Ron Kerr, Stephen uh, Weatherly. Well, there you go. Weatherly's gone, too, so so much for that. And David Morgan. And they also added Everson Griffin is still a free agent, meaning he could come back. They also added in that Anthony Harris was tagged, but he could be traded. That would be phenomenal. I know that they would get compensation for it, which is a negative, but Anthony Harris last year was the number one overall safety, and unlike the Chicago Bears' Eddie Jackson, he's been an elite safety for two years in a row. That's kind of the standard for me. If you're an elite once, I'm looking for regression. If you get better after that, I I mean, I, I would expect him to regress a little bit, but I don't think he's a garbage safety. If they get rid of him, I'm beyond excited. If they don't, Still a little bit excited because they don't have a great team and they don't get the extra compensation. So anyways, anyways, let's try to squeeze in some Packers stuff, shall we? You want to save the best for last, but the problem is now I'm pressed for time. So uh, the first thing is there were some some news or rumors about the Packers and Yannick Ngakwe. There's some talk about, apparently, I think it was Benjamin Albright had said that there were some teams that have been calling about him. One of them was the Green Bay Packers. Now, remember, I, I mentioned this to you before. The Packers call about everybody. So the way I see this happening is that the Packers don't leak, but other teams do. And so occasionally, Benjamin or other guys, they'll have ins with certain teams. They'll have, they'll know an agent. They'll know a GM. They'll know somebody. Somebody in the room that is involved in the Yannick Ngakwe trade is fielding calls or hearing about calls being fielded and are relaying that to Benjamin Albright. And the teams that he listed included the Green Bay Packers. And so what happens is people take that and run with that. And they say, ooh, the Packers are interested. Except for the part where I told you they pick up the phone and call everybody, which is the right thing to do. 
They want to know the price. By the way, part of this is the reason that they move so quickly on getting Christian Kirksey as well as uh, Rick Wagner. Part of this fielding calls thing is to gauge the market. If you can get a feel for how expensive or how cheap people are going to be, you can get an idea of what a good strategy is. If the linebacker market ends up being way too hot, you don't want to waste time going after the expensive guys to find out after the fact that they're too expensive and then try to turn and get guys like Christian Kirksey except they already got bought up. They got a, they, they were calling around. They, they figured out the market. They found out that it's too hot for them to go after you know the, the top-end linebackers, and they needed to lock in these guys quickly, and they did. There's all kinds of reasons you make phone calls. Right? When they called about Joe Schobert and found out that he was going to get paid about as much as he got paid, which is a ridiculous amount for a subpar linebacker, they said, we better lock up some guys quickly. So when they heard that they can get a guy for about a $4 million cap hit this year that's every bit as good as, as Joe Schobert is, they absolutely locked him up in a second. So point is, I don't think there's any real reason to believe that they're going to take even a half-hearted attempt at getting Yannick Ngakwe. It makes absolutely no sense. Yannick Ngakwe is an, a 24, 25-year-old edge rusher. We don't need a fourth edge rusher. Oh, but he's really good. He's better than... Ra- Listen, we already invested in Rashawn. That's a done deal. We also paid a lot of money to Zadarius Smith and Preston Smith. That's done. We're not doing it again. We're not spending more money. We're not giving up draft capital for a fourth edge rusher. We're not doing that. Beyond that, Yannick Ngakwe is massively overhyped. He is going to get paid like he is elite elite, and he is just not. This kind of thing happens all the time. You get a guy that's a big name who's a, you know, I, I don't even know. I mean, 2017, he had a great year back when the Jaguars were a very good team. He was absolutely dominant. 82 pressures on 586 snaps, 14 sacks. The next year followed it up with 64 pressures on about 500 snaps, which is a little bit less, and 10 sacks. This past year, he had 51 pressures on 489 snaps, barely over 10% and got eight sacks. As the team is regressing, Yannick is regressing. He is, he is consistently one of the worst tacklers and has zero ability to do anything against the run. He is horrible against the run. He is strictly a pass rusher at six foot two, 246 pounds. And even at that, he was mediocre last year. Why in the world would we give up 15, 16, 17, whatever, however many millions of dollars he's going to get to go out and get our number four pass rusher. There's no chance in the world in my mind. If they do it, I, I just, I'm at a complete loss. It's, it's not only ridiculous for the Packers. In other words, I don't think there's any GM, even the really dumb ones who would go get Yannick Ngakwe after just paying Preston and Zadarius and drafting Rashawn Gary at 12. But beyond that, this is the Green Bay Packers we're talking about. The Green Bay Packers who have no money, who don't give up draft pick, who have edge rushers, notoriously cheap. There's just there's there's no universe in which they would do this. I mean, unless it involves some kind of a trade, but that, that just no. So no, I I know it's exciting when you see a big name and you see the Packers are calling. This is this is something else. They're they're just doing due diligence as all this is. However, there were some more rumors, and who knows how much to actually believe any of this stuff. Um, Incarcerated Bob is one of those. There are several people that are, I guess you would say, controversial in terms of whether or not they're insiders. He obviously thinks he is. He has a very loyal following. There are other people who say he's kind of a fraud. I don't know. I don't track these guys' track records. However, somebody had asked him the question, are the Panthers going to spend any money in free agency? 
He goes on to say the Jets, Panthers, Eagles, Saints, Dolphins are involved in Robbie Anderson. He said the Packers are kicking tires on Perriman and Sanders. This got me unbelievably excited because if you know me, there are two wide receivers over the past year that I have said I really want the Packers to get. I want Emmanuel Sanders, who proved I proved to be correct. He's always been good with Denver, although it hasn't been seen very much because their entire offense fell apart. I wanted him because he's always still been a solid player. He goes to San Francisco, he's still a great player. Now, if you want to argue he wasn't worth the value, fine. I don't really care. Point is, he is a good player. He would be a good player. I don't know if we can afford him, but would he be a massive upgrade to this team? Of course. He's a, he's a phenomenal football player. And then Perriman, who is the other guy that I said the Packers should get, and this was probably back in like January, I said it kind of fits the mold of what Brian Gutekunst seems to like in terms of young guys that have broke out, etc., etc. Again, I have no idea what that even means, that they're kicking the tires. Does that mean they're making phone calls? Could that just be the same exact thing with Yannick, where they're just gauging the market, seeing what's going on? Because the fact of the matter is, they're pretty capped out. Depending on what sources you're looking at, they're basically out of money. I think Track has them at about $12 million. That means you're done. Now, again, there are options as far as extensions, cuts, trades, whatever. I mean, the, the, the Vikings and the Bears and the Lions have been, or not the Lions necessarily, but they've been out of money like seven times. And then they cut somebody, and then they have money, and then they sign someone, and then they don't have money. And then they extend Kirk Cousins, and then they have money, and then they sign somebody, and then they don't have money. And it's just back and forth and back and forth and back and forth. So you can make room, but if they don't want to, if they don't want to extend anyone, if they don't want to cut or trade anyone, then, um, then they, they pretty much just don't have money. So there you go. But it definitely got me excited, and it's something to keep an eye on. Again, as of right now, I think they're basically out. You know, at $12 million, maybe they can do like a $4 million contract, pay them 2 to $3 million against the cap, which is not going to get you Brashad Perriman or Emmanuel Sanders. Now, I think over the cap has them at about $16 million, which is a significant amount more considering then you've got about maybe, I don't even know, with the, the, guy, with the guys you got to sign in the draft. I don't know, man. they got to do something. I don't, I don't know. But we'll, we'll keep an eye out on it. And it's, it's also kind of interesting to see how they manage the cap at this point. If they decide to sign somebody, what are they going to do? Just be an interesting case study, I guess. Because my, my theory, as I've already said now, is at this point, they're out of money. So if they sign somebody without an extension or anything else, it'll be interesting to see how exactly they manage that. So I kind of hope they do. I hope they prove me wrong, because I'd like to learn something today. Um, and somewhat minor news, uh, we re-signed Will Redmond, so we got him coming back. Obviously just a backup player, but whatever. And then comes the big question. What about Clay Matthews coming back to Green Bay, playing as an inside linebacker? There's really only one question in my mind. Do you think he can still do it? I mean, I, I have no problem with Clay Matthews coming back to Green Bay. That would be awesome. My belief, my feeling, and I don't think there's a lot of disagreement, most people seem to be on board with this, is that when we moved him inside, he was a phenomenal football player. I mean, first of all, just his ability to blitz from the inside, I feel like we should have just run that every time. I don't think I ever saw him blitz from the inside and not get a sack. It was the most remarkable thing I've ever seen. I haven't mentioned it in a long time. But literally, this is my recollection. I'm sure I'm misremembering this. They would line him up, basically on the line of scrimmage, but standing up. And he would just do this little scoot move where when the ball was snapped, he would scoot between the center and guard so fast that they couldn't even react and he would just get a sack and it was like what this is this is like when you play madden and you just like i don't know if, i haven't played madden in a long time i'm guessing they don't do this anymore but back in the day you could just like hold down and you wouldn't be able to jump off sides so they would just be like running in a full sprint and then when they snap the ball boom you're like a rocket and you just get an automatic sack 
you shouldn't do that. It's cheating. But sometimes you're playing and you're losing and you don't want to lose. So you cheat, you know, whatever. It was basically, it was a cheat. It was just a, 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 a hack. And they only did it a couple times. It's like, why don't we do this every single time? But, I mean, he's got that tenacity. He's got enough speed to be able to have, I mean, again, I don't know if he has at 34 years old. But he just, he looked really good as an inside linebacker. And I feel like we moved him back outside largely because we just didn't have anybody outside. That's not the case anymore. So, again, the issue for me isn't, you know, was he ever a good linebacker? I really liked him as an inside linebacker. The question is, at 34 years old, can we expect the same kind of play that we got the last time we had him play inside? Which, by the way, was 2015. We're talking five years ago. Also, should be noted, PFF gave him horrible grades as an inside linebacker. I mean, he had a couple good games against Detroit, 86 overall. But for the most, I mean, he ended that season at a 62 overall grade, a 43 overall tackling grade, 58 against the run. 58 in coverage, 65 as a pass rusher. He had nine sacks that year, so that 60 pressures, nine sacks. That was that was basically he had one year that was better than that, and it was way lower in terms of pre- that was that was his best year ever after 2011 as far as pressures when he played inside. That's incredible to me. So he, I, again, I'm not super opposed to it. I don't think they're gonna do it, and I also I, if I had to guess, I don't think he'd be very good. I think maybe we're slightly misremembering his ability to play inside as being a little bit better than it was. And again, five years later, he's not going to be even as good as he was back in 2015. So if they did it, would I be upset? Not super upset. But I also think with the very limited amount of money that we have, using up the last of our money on 34-year-old Clay Matthews to play inside linebacker, hoping that he can play a little bit better, eh... It's more of a cool thought, a, a, a neat idea that is fun to talk about, and you know you kind of just hope that it doesn't happen secretly in the back recesses of your mind, that we just draft somebody that's a solid linebacker that can come in and play the majority of snaps at linebacker, and then we got Christian Kirksey to kind of be the maybe rotational second linebacker on occasion, and we just leave it at that. I just, you know, I mean, if we had $30 million, fine. Go ahead and throw him, throw him a bone, give him $4 bucks to come back for a year, play inside linebacker. It'll be fun. He can be a Packer for a while. When we're sitting between 12 and $16 million, we basically have no money left. I don't want to use it on Clay Matthews. Again, it'd be cool to bring him back, and I know it was, it was great when he played inside linebacker. I enjoyed it. I just don't think 34-year-old Clay Matthews is going to be able to play too many positions at a high level anymore. So that's my thought on that. Anyways, you folks have yourselves a fantastic Friday. Hopefully I'll be talking to you again tomorrow. Have a good one. Bye-bye.